This is Robert Carter, loan officer with Mortgage Investors Group in Knoxville, Tennessee. When it comes time to choose who you're going to work with on the purchase of your next home, you want to use an experienced team of processors, underwriters, and closers. That is why you want to use the Carter Team. We are available when you need us, day, night, and weekends. Visit our website, www.closewithcarter.com, and apply online. Again, that's closewithcarter.com, or you can call us anytime at 865-850-2418. Just listen to what our clients are saying about us. Cindy from Knoxville says, Robert was an absolute pleasure to work with. My loan was not an easy one, and Robert worked all sorts of weird hours to get me approved and into my very first home. Not only that, he did it in seven days. I was floored with the customer service and the genuine care he had to get me in my home. I would recommend Robert to anyone looking for a lender. If you want that same attention to detail, call us at 865-850-2418 or visit CloseWithCarter.com today. CloseWithCarter.com, turning contracts into closings. Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And we want to thank you for coming in and joining us today. Uh, thank you for starting your weekend off with us. And we are extremely excited about our show today. And just to let you guys know how you can plug in with us, you can go um, obviously to the mothership, which is uh, thehousinghour.com. That's where you're going to find all the treasure trove of information that we have developed over the last three years. Um, and it's all going to be there. Very easy to find. And our most important series are labeled as uh, series, I believe. Special series. Special series. Um, but there really is just a, a lot of information um, and uh, we're on SoundCloud, we're on the um, Facebook, we're on the Twitter, um, we're all over the place. But to find us on Facebook, it would be facebook.com slash the housing hour. Um, Twitter handle is at the housing hour. So locate us there. Um, we would love to interact with you and um, partner with you in any way that, that you would like to. And maybe um, if you have topics for shows or if you'd like to talk about maybe what we talked about the previous week, whatever you'd like to do. Um, but most importantly, we are all, all about sharing information. So if you'd like to share something from our site, we absolutely would encourage that. Um, and, and we definitely like uh, for people to do that. So with that being said, we have a guest with us um, on air today. And um, Mark brought this to our attention. And it's really a, a fascinating subject matter. And everybody knows um, about our series, the energy series that we put forth last year and um, we kind of put that on pause for a little bit, but this but we're going to hammer that thing coming up. Galen, yes, yes our yes. guest today starts it off. Yes, so that's really where Galen Brown comes in. He is the author um, of a book that's coming out in May. The book is called "The Compost Powered Water Heater: How to Heat Your Greenhouse, Pool, or Buildings with Only Compost." Galen Brown is our guest. Galen, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to share and discuss. Lots of topics to uh, consider and lots of excitement. I tell you what, this this is one of those things that I think could be probably one of those the most significant, I don't want to say discoveries because it's already been discovered, but I guess one of the biggest execution of discoveries 
um, this this next 10 years, I believe. But um, if you don't mind, why don't you just kind of give us an overview of what your book that comes out on May 5th is going to be about? And you can pre-order it on Amazon.com right now for 1305 free shipping. So go ahead and give us yeah, an overview. You. Yeah. So, yeah, the topic is compost uh, heat recovery. Um, the, the idea that compost gets hot is not necessarily a new idea. Most people who have any experience with farming or composting or even backyard composting, we'll know that there's some heat that's generated from the process. What yeah. we've been uh, tinkering with and experimenting with over the last five or six years are different ways to uh, predictably and reliably extract heat, hot water, um, thermal energy from the composting process. And there's a lot of different ways that we've uh, been able to make it work at small scales or large with lots of different types of materials that can be composted, and a few different ways of exchanging or extracting the heat out of the system uh, while also making it uh, more efficient in terms of how the compost is produced. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the really exciting part about it, well, there's lots of angles that, that make it interesting, but uh, the idea of being able to meet all of our uh, space heating and hot water needs without burning any fuel and without any emissions uh, and without any you know, fuel cost um, while making a high-value uh, product being soil inputs and, and compost to build up uh, valuable soil fertility um, is a, it's just an amazing idea. And it's not necessarily a new idea. The, the person who first kind of pioneered this was actually back in the late 1970s in France, and a man named... Jean Payne, or Pain, as they mm -hmm. uh, would say in, in French. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the idea kind of collected dust through most of the 80s and 90s, and I heard about this about six years ago and searched the Internet like a madman for about six months trying to find anyone else besides this uh, gentleman in the 70s who had done this and couldn't find anybody or any examples of anything going on. And scratched my head and said, how is this uh, not happening, and decided to see what I could do in my front yard uh, for about a year doing experiments, and eventually I formed um, what's called compostpower.org, which is a nonprofit uh, open source research network to yeah. uh, collaborate and facilitate research and, and bring as many people to the table as I could from renewable energy, from compost, from... Um, all kinds of different um, angles, and over the years we've put together a lot of experiments and tried and failed many times, learned a lot from a lot of failures. Um, at this point, a lot of us who were involved with Compost Power are working with a, a startup company that's pioneered a, a patented, uh, somewhat engineered and somewhat high-tech approach to doing compost heat recovery at larger scales. We've got active research projects with a number of universities that are doing systems on campus, and uh, lots of success with uh, lots of small-scale and a few large-scale systems that have proven that it can be done effectively from an economics point of view without needing any subsidies or any uh, you know, other incentives to make it pencil out. Yeah. Um, but the, the beautiful thing about it to me is that it's something that can be done at just about any scale. Mm -hmm. So if you want to heat your house, this is a way that it could be done. If you want to heat a multi-unit apartment building, this is the way it could be done. Uh, we've got a huge greenhouse in Vermont that's currently being heated entirely with 
Um, he pulled out of compost at a farm uh, at Jasper Hill Farm in Greensboro, Vermont, as well as a number of other farm uh, systems that are up and running with lots of success. And this book that I have written covers the history of the concept, goes through in case study style format a lot of the different systems that we've done, uh, as well as a lot of really interesting uh, stories about people that have sort of hacked their way into this and through trial and error and taking different approaches, figured out different ways to to uh, make it work. So it's a, a mix of, um, I think, entertaining human stories and personalities as well as a lot of technical and scientific information for people that want to do this on their own or for people who want to do it at large scale with uh, additional resources they could, they could pull in. Well, you know, you took, I guess, Jean Payne's discovery, if you will, or his idea. And what I find fascinating about it is, like you said, it was collecting dust or whatever you want to call it. Maybe it was collecting biomass. I don't know. But it was, right. it was sitting there, you know, on the shelf. And you guys came and said, you know what? There's something to this. There's something to this. You, you know, in the videos that I saw, you know, it's clear you see just this intense, maybe smoke or steam, steam, I guess is what it, coming right. out. I mean, so there, you obviously see that there's, there's heat coming from this source. And what I think is most amazing is that somebody can capture that. And in, in this mound, I want to talk a little bit about how that works from just a logistics standpoint and how that actually happens. But <clears throat> my question, I guess, would be, you know, why is this not like breaking news? Uh, you know, why isn't this right. on CNN.com all over Fox News? I mean, because this this could answer a lot of the questions that we have. I mean, we have the earth. We have the earth and, and we have, uh, you know, I was in New York last, uh, just a few weeks ago. And, you know, each night there's, there's, piles and piles of trash. Now, I know that's not exactly what you're doing, but there's there we have waste. We have stuff that we can use. I'm just wondering, why hasn't there been more concentrated effort from the scientific community, and maybe there is, and I'm just missing it, to try to solve this mystery of energy? That's a yeah, big I question. Yeah, that's the question I've been scratching on for, for many years as well, and I think the answer is just because we haven't done it yet, you know, and yeah. I think that there's a, a general misconception in our culture that if something is legit or if it works, then everybody would be doing it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's you know, exactly I've right. I've been involved in renewable energy. I worked in solar power for a few years and have been, you know, very active in sort of a sustainability circles as well as just looking for the economics. And I think the bottom line is that the word waste itself is the problem. And yeah. we have this word or this idea that that this um, this category of materials is a waste to manage mm -hmm. instead of a resource to be um, you know used and really what we're talking about is waste to energy in this you know concept but what I'm after is eliminating that whole word and that whole idea from our culture and realizing that all of these so-called wastes are resources that can be turned into very valuable economic factors as well as very valuable ecological systems where you've got a regenerative cycle instead of filling landfills we are powering homes and the you know the, the big picture here is huge the the potential is huge but you know also the context of compost in general um, you know for many many years we've just been filling up landfills with all kinds of stuff that you know is biomass material that could be you know used as a fertility input or an energy source and I think what's driving a lot of the momentum in the compost world is coming from the economics of the cost of doing the landfill method. And just, you know, a lot of our 
um, projects are looking at this as a way to eliminate their cost of just removing the so-called waste from their site. And, and then we, re we start talking to them, and they realize that not only can they eliminate their cost of removing the material, they can have a huge positive um, economic factor by using it on site in, in effective ways. Hey, Galen, let me ask you, um, as far as the logistics go um, and, and putting this in perspective, because every subdivision in America can't possibly have a big mound, but there are certain applications for that. Just kind of share with us your application for this location, uh, that type of thing. Sure. Well, the you know, the, there's a lot of different ways that it can be applied. A lot of the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, right now is uh, facilities that are already in the compost production business and giving them ways to generate heat and energy that could be used to heat buildings or greenhouses. You know, every farm has this opportunity. Um, at the residential scale, it's definitely feasible. If you picture the space requirements of uh, a 20-foot roll-off dumpster, for example, um, that amount of composting material is enough to provide the, uh, the, the entire heating needs for a home in a place like Vermont, as well as their uh, hot water needs. So the residential scale uh, possibility is very much there. The infrastructure and the equipment and the sort of commercialization of the concept at that scale is not quite there. But the potential as far as the you know, the space requirements and the logistics of how it could be done um, definitely are, are highly, um, highly possible. And one of the things I'm trying to do is to, you know, in effect, commercialize these concepts at as many scales and different sort of segments as we can. It's a huge um, opportunity, and, you know, it's kind of hard to decide um, where, the, where the focus should be. What I really want to do with this book is inspire as many innovative entrepreneurial types as I can to see this as a business opportunity and to be empowered by the information in the book and the other stuff that we're doing to, to turn this into something that they could offer. But the economics of uh, household-scale heating and hot water through compost could be very interesting. And in one yeah. scenario that I see is very likely in the short term is, again, around a concept of uh, a 20-foot roll-off dumpster that would hold approximately 40 cubic yards of material mm -hmm. and having compost heat recovery uh, built into that container. And the container itself could, of course, be made very uh, pretty. We could put cedar shakes on the outside. It could be, you know, look like a, a shed in your backyard kind of thing. You unload it, plug it into the water lines, and turn it on, and it heats your house and all your hot water until the compost process is complete. And then a truck comes and picks it up, and hauls it to whoever wants to buy that compost. Mm -hmm. So the you know the economics can cover each step in that supply chain by the value of the energy and of the of the compost. The material well, that can I mean, be in that that kind of container could be wood chips, it could be sawdust, it could be straw, it could be grass, it could be manure, food scraps, any of the above or a combination of the above. And so the you know the idea of distributing the production of compost. Mm -hmm. in ways that allow you to capture the energy where you want it is kind of where I think this will head eventually. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that you're right. And, and when we get back to to our next segment, because we're running out of time on this segment, let's talk a little bit more about, I think, the execution, maybe even the practical application for 
you know, John D. Farmer out there, somebody who wants to, you know, have their greenhouse life extended throughout the winter, possibly uh, utilizing some of this technology, I call it. Um, So this has been fantastic first segment. We've got a lot of information that Galen has been providing us. So we'll try to unpack more of that when we get back here in just a moment here on the housing hour. We'll be right back. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back to The Housing Hour. Kevin Ray back with you with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. We're here on The Housing Hour. Thank you guys for joining us, starting your weekend off with us, and we appreciate that. Hopefully this show will add some value to your weekend and hopefully provide you with some um, actionable steps to really help you and your family potentially, Um, especially in Tennessee. We have a lot of communities that could use this type of composting power. And I think it's really an amazing, um, really discovery and and information. So we're here with a very fascinating guest, Galen Brown. He has a book coming out in May, May 5th. You can pre-order it right now on amazon.com. You're going to be able to go to the housinghour.com and uh, click on the link if you'd like um, to go to Amazon and pre-order that. Um, Galen, you were talking before we went to break just about, um, you know, how maybe this could look. And um, what I wanted to, to unpack a little bit more before we did start back in to that piece of it is I want to understand the, the piece that you're talking about the compost science that is encompassed in your book and on your compostpower.org. Can you tell folks out there exactly what compost is? I know it sounds like such an elementary question, but um, because I I think of compost and I think of my times going to UT agricultural center and, you know, the chicken manure, you know, and and potato skins. Yeah. So is it, is it just woody things or can it be other items? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, the, the basic science or process of composting is basically the, the elements required are food for the microbes, and that food is a, usually a mixture of high nitrogen materials and high carbon materials. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two key elements are they need air, they need to breathe, and they need water. Okay. So the most effective compost systems are ones where there are aeration um, systems in place that actively either push or pull air through the material. Typically, or at least in uh, prior times, the, the main approach of compost production was constant tumbling and stirring of the material, which gives the microbes access to air. Uh-huh. Um, what we have pioneered, as well as other methods of composting, are, use uh, perforated tubing or channels underneath the compost, and air is pushed or pulled either up or down through the material and that eliminates the need for constant mechanical tumbling and turning of the material, saving a lot of energy in terms of the production process. Well, you know, uh, well, real quick, I was just going to throw in there because Mark had a little fire at his office a couple of years ago that I ran into. And do you remember that? In, yeah, the, in mulch, the mulch. The mulch got it, so hot it caught on fire. Yeah, and so that right. because I think and it was windy a little bit. I think it was just stirring in there. Yeah. And so that's, that's just something people would know that around here, you know, they've seen fires in there and, and that's just how it works. That's how quickly it can ignite. That's the heat that's coming off of there. 
yeah, the heat potential, I mean, it can get a typical compost pile that's, you know, not necessarily very large. If you've got a, a small backyard bin that's four feet by four feet um, in, in width and height and, and dimensions, you know, the inner core of that pile will be 150 degrees if there is good aeration underneath it or if the material is mixed well. One of the challenges that um, often is uh, something that to deal with in the beginning when someone's first getting into this at any scale, if they've got a lot of food scraps or other he heavy wet material like manure or food scraps or those kinds of things, you need to blend it and mix it with what is referred to as a bulking agent, which mm -hmm. is typically a high carbon material like wood chips or sawdust or straw or grass, things that will not only help absorb some of the water, but also allow air to move through the material mm -hmm. while giving it some, uh, some porosity. Okay. Um, so that's part of the recipe of compost. You know, it, there's a lot of different ways it can be approached. Okay, let me ask you this what question. Your, what your let, materials are. Let me, let me dive into this way. So, because we have a lot of, we have our audiences wide. We have a lot of people who, who listen regularly that are in the real estate business. We have our energy kind of following that, that also follows us, so that has a lot to do with whether it be um, solar. There's just a wide audience. So I want to deep dig in here a little bit. Um, when, first of all, do you have kids? Yes, I have one son. Okay. And, um, have you ever seen the movie Toy Story 3 by chance? Uh, I don't know if I've seen the There's third, a part the of that movie where the characters get taken to this wasteland, if you will, and it's just a huge trash wasteland. It's where all of the city's trash comes, and it's very well-oiled machine. Here's where the here's where the food goes. Here's where the metals go, etc. And it's laid out there very nicely in this you know this animated feature. My question to you is: In the future, I'm talking way out. Could you see a day where cities have these compost power farms, if you will, that? All the trash goes to this place, and it's I'm talking miles big. And underneath it is this amazing kind of network of chicken wire, you know, and compost, and and, and it's heating and cooling the entire city. The, the the whole all the energy is coming from that is powering entire cities. Yeah, it's definitely possible, and and I think likely. Um, we actually just looked at the city of Montpelier. Mm -hmm. um, I am friends with the main people who have been pushing and developing a citywide district heating system that's uh, basically a big wood chip uh, burning power plant that makes hot water and pipes it all over town for people's uh, household heating needs. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually um, did the math of an existing compost production facility that is in, in, within the city limits of Montpelier that has uh, more than enough compost in production Mm -hmm. to, that it actually could meet the entire city's um, household heating needs. I mean, that's it's incredible. Not going, it's not going to happen. They've, they've, they're too far along on the project to actually integrate it, and they don't have the space required where the central heating plant is to do a compost production um, on that site. But we're actually um, in discussions with a college campus that may do that kind of thing mm -hmm. within the, the same context. So, so yes, in theory, it's totally possible for okay. large centralized systems, but I, I think where the compost world is going to go over over the long term mm -hmm. is not so much on these large central um, sites and more toward um, compost being produced and these so-called waste materials being turned into a resource very close to where they're generated. So, okay. for example, uh, a college cafeteria has a lot of food scraps. 
Mm-hmm. Instead of spending money to truck that material 50 miles away and do something else with it, you know, that material could be composted on site and that could provide all the hot water for the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's where the, you know, the economics of the, uh, the evolution of this whole category of compost uh, best practices as well as the energy recovery, it will, it will drive it to distribute the, the production of compost in a much more, um, you know, small scale but vast sort of many points type of scenario because that's right. where you've got many more options on, on using the energy. Hey, Galen, let me jump in and ask you this question, because I know a lot of folks, uh, when you talk about these types of uh, mulch piles and everything, they get kind of, you know, smelly, right? They attract, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of folks, that they might attract, uh, you know, rodents or insects. If you have decaying wood near your home, it, you know, invites... I have uh, a trap where it gets those in there and it turns that into more energy. (laughs) You could do that. You (laughs) could do that. But how do you overcome those objections? I mean, almost every compost facility of any size, um, backyard or commercial scale, has had issues with odors. And actually, the interesting thing about what causes the odor, it's actually um, when a pile goes anaerobic, which means... If there's not enough oxygen moving through the material, mm-hmm. then the microbes that rely on an environment that has no oxygen, those are the microbes that create the, uh, the methane and the odorous kind of um, scent problem. Mm-hmm. So if your compost system is actively aerated and the recipe is well blended, then you really don't actually have major odor issues. Hmm. So, and and that's, that's true at any scale. There's also a lot of different um, methods and technologies that have been developed and that are in sort of the maturing stage around odor elimination. One of the, um, one of the approaches we've uh, got in operation that's heating this greenhouse in Vermont, so the, the, hot, the, the air is pulled down through the compost by a fan through ductwork and, and channels in the floor underneath the compost. That hot, steamy air is run through a heat exchanger to make hot water, and then the exhaust, after the heat exchanger, that air is still 80 or 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's also rich in carbon dioxide, CO2. So that air exhaust is then vented directly into the greenhouse, into what's called a biofilter, which is basically a, can be a box full of wood chips, um, something that will absorb primarily the ammonia odor that comes out of um, certain types of materials. And, and then that brings additional heat into the greenhouse as well as CO2. And one of the biggest issues that greenhouse operators have when they're trying to do cold weather or, you know, winter operation is the plants need CO2. And so the greenhouses are constantly ventilating and bringing in all kinds of cold air just to give the plants CO2, and then they have to spend a lot of energy to warm that air up. With this approach, not only is the greenhouse being heated, but the CO2 is coming in, so they don't need to bring in outside air to keep the plants healthy. And so that's probably one of the most exciting things about this is turning CO2, which you know is seen as a negative in a greenhouse gas, into a, a, a very valuable resource that can feed the plants while it's actually sequestering that CO2 into the plants. I think that's soil. the whole concept. I mean, if you think back in the movie Back to the Future, um, I always like to talk about that because... Um, if you remember, uh, the doctor, the good doctor uh, in the second the second movie um, was uh-huh. able to, you know, the flux capacitor was was powered by, you know, waste. So he was taking what appeared to be a negative and turning right. it much into a positive. 
So right. do you think that you'll be able to power a flex capacitor is the real question. <laughs> I'm just well, kidding. Well, you know, actually, there are, um, there are ways that electricity can be generated with um, a thermal input. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a number of different ways, but um, I think that that'll, that'll come over time. Yeah. Right now, we've been trying to focus on the, the heat yes. application. But, for example, um, the, the way a, an air conditioner or a refrigerator works, it requires a heat source to heat up the, right. the freon. Right. And that creates the cooling cycle on the other side. So, in theory, we could plug our system into a reverse heat pump and run the air conditioning unit of a large building. Yeah. So, the, you know, the, the heating or cooling needs um, could be met with this as a, as a primary energy input. The other really interesting thing from a renewable energy point of view is that these systems are baseload energy. So... It's not. It doesn't fluctuate with the weather. It doesn't fluctuate with the time of day. It doesn't matter if it's windy or if the sun is out. You're getting the same amount of BTU energy per hour every hour continuously throughout the whole process, and there's no moving parts. There's nothing mechanical to fail except for the single fan that pulls air through the compost, and that's a $200 item that might have to get replaced every five years. Mm-hmm. So the, the moving parts are minimal. It's actually... A pretty low tech um, situation. Chicken wire, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, again, twenty four seven constant heat, um, which is very rare in the renewable energy world. I mean, even with hydropower, you've got pretty big fluctuations on the amount of energy coming through a hydropower plant, depending on the level of water in the river. Yeah. And so, as far as I'm aware, this is one of the only truly renewable energy concepts that I've been um, exposed to. That's uh, continuous base load 24 seven. Now I can see a day where, cause I see that you, you know, you have the on compostpower.org, you have the step-by-step process and you know, you're, you're giving this away for free. It's a PDF that people can go and create their very own mound de pain as, as you call it. Um, uh-huh. and so do you see a day where, you know, this could be an offered project that, you know, cause I mean, you couldn't find anybody to do this for you around here. I mean, you know, I guess if you gave them this kit or this PDF and said, here's what I need, you know, please put this together. But, um, you know, right now you could find somebody to go, you know, put in a, a irrigation system. They're all over the place. You know, you right. go, you go to the yellow pages and, you know, every landscaping company does that, that they all do it. So when we get back, cause we only have about 30 seconds left, I'd like to talk to you about maybe, um, some practical application, um, maybe, Let's talk about how people can plug in with you, because um, you need some Southerners to be a part of this. All, yes, all due respect to, to my Northern sure. friends, but we got a lot of compost rolling down here, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and so yeah. I think if we, we get the word out and we get people like Harvey Abelotta, you know, who's an amazing person, love to introduce you to him and see if you guys could network in some way. Um, yeah, we'll talk more about him. But here when we get back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the practical application part, how people can plug in with you so that they can take advantage of this amazing discovery. We'll be right back after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray.
Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm here again with my executive producer and co-host, Mark Griffith. We want to thank you guys for coming back into the Housing Hour. And before we move on to our last segment um, here with Galen, now we're going to tell you guys about a company called Admiral Title that you know all about. I don't even need to say anything, really, because you've heard me talk Just about it. Just getting the number. Yeah, it's <laughs> Admiral Title. They're a fantastic company. They want to partner with you to help you realize all of your home ownership needs as it relates to closing a loan. You can call them at 865-531-6060. Admiral Title is the name. So we're back in here. We're talking to Gail, and we're talking about um, composting power, and we're talking about um, installed systems, what that looks like, um, You know, trying to harness what is an incredible energy source that really for the most part is right in your backyard or could be. And when we getting ready to go off a break and we were talking a little off air and we were talking about trying to figure out, you know, what the next steps are for people. And I mentioned, you know, how you could call any landscaping company right now and say, Hey, do you put in irrigation? And the answer is always, well, absolutely. They all do it, you know? And so I foresee a day in the future, kind of a Nostradamus type of, Thought, prediction. <laughs> prediction that this could be available for you know people to purchase because it's all about making it convenient and you're doing that you're actually you've actually got talk about AgriLab Tech tell a little bit about that yeah AgriLab Technologies is a startup company that I'm a partner in and they've um, for several years been pioneering a an engineered approach to uh, larger scale heat recovery from compost uh-huh. we have a uh, coming soon actually a whole new suite of systems that are geared for smaller scale. And the, that's, the, that's the technology that pulls air through the material and then runs that hot air through a heat exchanger to make hot water. The advantage of that, material, of that approach is that you don't have uh, water lines buried throughout the material that you have to remove when you uh, finish the process. So it's uh-huh. very much uh, set it in place and for two months collect heat off it scrape it out, and reload it with fresh material. It's great for um, farms and that kind of thing. But for, for the home-scale systems that we've been doing through compost power, um, these are made primarily with wood chips and sawdust as the only material. And the basic method was put some aeration tubing on the ground so that air can get underneath the material, right. and then pile up uh, you know, an eight-foot-tall, eight-foot-wide kind of um, column of material and every foot of material, you put a bunch of pipes down and coil them up and then just keep piling it up into, you know, what turns out to be like an eight-layer cake, so to speak. Um, the material has to be, the wood chips and sawdust have to be thoroughly soaked with water. And then you basically just set it there and it's, it stays hot for at least a year. We've had one system that I built a couple of years ago that stayed hot through two winters. I built it in late October. It stayed above 140 degrees for the whole first winter, and then by the second winter, it was still above 110 degrees until the spring. So the wood takes a long time to break down, yeah. um, but it puts out heat the whole time, and you just run a simple circulation pump, pumping water through the water lines that are in the material, and you've got a constant hot water heater. So you didn't add, for. okay, so you did you add anything during those two winters? No, no. Um, the, That's the amazing. The one issue that we've had is if the material dries out, yeah. then the process stalls. Okay. So, um, well, water application. A, that's that's really the only tricky part about that approach is making sure that the material doesn't dry out. In certain climates, that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. But I actually built a system um, at an eco village in uh, Chile, in South America, this summer. It's a very dry climate, kind of like Southern California, 
And about three months later, it dried out and the heat kind of stalled. So they just ran a hose on top and rewet it and came back to life. That's incredible. But that's the simple low-tech backyard approach that um, is easy enough for anybody to do. And I'm happy to provide assistance, you know, in terms of step-by-step guides and that kind of thing to anyone who can reach me through agrolabtech.com or composthower.org. Hey, Galen, what about heat loss? I mean, you, you're at 150 degrees. The average hot water heater needs to be somewhere around 110, maybe 120 on the high side. What about transferring that water to the house, the heat loss? How do you protect that? Um, it's actually amazing how many feet of insulated pipe you can run hot water through on, in an you know, underground, dig a trench a couple feet deep, lay the insulated pipe. Um, we don't see much heat loss if that pipe insulation is done properly. So the compost mound could be, you know, even a couple hundred feet away from the house if it had to be, and you could still get uh, most of that, that hot water without much, without much heat loss. Okay, it's really I'm ideal not... for radiant floor heat because it puts out 110 to 130 degree water, yeah. um, which is perfect for radiant floor or for domestic hot I'll water. i tell you but what. It can also work or... in baseboard radiators and, and those kind of things. Some people have set up... Uh, a system where the hot water is run through a radiator and a fan is blown across that radiator to make hot air to heat a space inside. Well, you know, that's what I was just thinking. If you think about people, because uh, in the Smoky Mountain area, towns in Maryville around our area, and I'm sure in Vermont, you guys have, have mountains for days up there, kind of. But my my thing is, you know, hey, if you got a second home, you have a lake house, you have you have these properties that might not be just right at the um, beck and call of a utility district, you know, what right. a fantastic implementation that you could, Hey, you know what? Heat your pool. We don't have heat. You know, we have to, you know, use a generator or whatever you're doing. So there's that application as well, but let me just dumb it down a little bit because, um, for me, not for our listeners, but for me, cause I need it. Um, you know, you talk about, and you and Mark are way advanced and I'm sure Landon knows what y'all are talking about too, but you've got this compost, right? Okay. Taking the compost, you're heating up the mound, the mound de pain. You got heat, 150 degrees. Are you telling me that there is a water tank that is sitting next to it because of the the heat that is exuding from this mound? It then heats this this water that's in this tank next to it. Then that water, uh, well, okay? No, actually, the the water. So the mound itself has maybe a thousand feet of one inch pipe hose could be PEX tubing okay. that is inside the material. Okay. And so the circulation pump that, the, that is connected to that water line would move water through the mound and into your tank in your basement or in your house. Mm-hmm. So you'd have, you know, 100 gallons or more, if you'd want, of storage of hot water. And every time you use hot water in your house, some cold water would go back into that tank from your household plumbing, and then that water would be heated up by the circulation through the compost loop. Okay. Okay, I, I got you. Uh, there's definitely heat loss to the environment in terms of that mound itself. Um, one of the systems that we collaborated on, this gentleman built a, a big insulated shed, basically, and he just put the heat exchange pipes, uh, black plastic pipe, in the ceiling mm-hmm. of this building, and he loads it up with material, and there's uh, perforated tubes in the floor that blow air up to aerate the material. And then his circulation wow. pump just runs water through the pipes in the ceiling, and that's how he captures heat. That's incredible. I mean, that's a that's a real simple approach, yeah. but it sounds yeah. like it works. 
In, yep. in, in Tennessee, it's a very mild climate, so I don't think it'd be. I mean, if in Vermont that you're not you're finding that if it's properly insulated, you're not seeing a lot of heat loss from the exchange. I think Tennessee would be as good or better, frankly. Yeah, it, it probably wouldn't be necessary in in that kind of climate, and you know you'll have some winter heating that you'll be glad to get from it, but it's you know primarily for domestic hot water or wash water, someone who wants to heat their pool or mm-hmm. hot tubs, those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and as we get more involved and more advanced towards commercializing all these different applications, like I said before, the, you know, opportunity to have this power, the energy inputs to air conditioners or refrigerators is also uh, tremendous. The other thing that's really interesting to me is that if you do this right, the value of the compost after your cycle oh. is over yeah. is much higher. That's what than Mark was talking cost. about. Yeah. It, it's higher than all of your costs. Mm, so you need wow. to you make money on just that. So That's in incredible. reality, the energy is truly free. Well, then you take there, that there compost, right? You could take that compost if you live on a farm and you could use it to fertilize your soil and you could right. grow your food, which would then take another energy source out of, you know, America. If you, the, the more people that can get to zero output, I guess you would say, right. then the right. better for all of us. So, I mean, man, there's such wide wide ranging benefits from this. And I mean, um, let me ask you this, Gail, we only have a few minutes left and I got, I have so many questions and only so much time, but, um, when you look at the world as it is now, and you look at what's happening with the weather, all of the different, you know, whether there is global warming, whether there's not global warming, I'm not here to debate that, but there's something that's changing. That's all I know. So, I mean, there's something happening and, and it may be just, uh, you know, seasonal or maybe generational, I don't know, but we can't continue to output this much waste and expect for our world to not have some effects negatively. So do you think it's, it's important? I mean, I don't know what your catalyst or your motivation is. I I would assume it is because you care about your, you know, the planet that we live on and you're trying to be a steward of that and trying to help and certainly make money along the way. But right. can you talk about that wide angle of look just for our listeners? Because, you know, you're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. But what's the bigger question there? Yeah, I mean, for me, my thoughts on what does sustainability mean? I mean, to me, I've always seen it as an econo- a principle of economics. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who doesn't want to have a sustainable economic long-term um, scenario? Right. And we cannot have a sustainable economic culture if we're constantly creating waste. Right. And so all those waste streams are resources and valuable, you know, economically valuable inputs for something else. And it's not, you, you don't have to have a green hat on or, or call yourself an environmentalist to see this as, you know, a really important and, you know, tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, there's people that have started commercial compost production companies in their backyard, literally, mm-hmm. and without you know, having to lay down big bucks to get going. They've grown them over time and created a healthy business. Um, High-quality organic compost sells for anywhere from 40 to $70 per ton. Wow. Um, coal, like the highest-value coal, is $38 per ton. So <laughs> exactly. you can make a product that's worth more per ton than coal out of waste. Oh, man. You don't have to do mountaintop removal to make that money. Okay. Uh, like that. This is where I'm seeing the, you know, the economic uh, value of this is what will drive it. And I, and I think that that's where a lot of the green and sustainability and environmental sort of movements and nonprofits and, and companies have, have 
in many ways missed that. You know, it's been in some ways, uh, you know, an eloquent guilt trip as to why you should be green and why you should spend twice as much money to, to be green. Or I'm saying, look, you can make twice as much money by being green if you do it in these kind of um, smart ways and stop, you know, seeing waste as something to throw in a landfill. Well, and, you know, there's so much waste. And again, I'll talk about my trip to New York and it was just piles and piles and piles of it. And, you know, they had the winter storm while I was there. So what happened was they suspended trash service for a day. And so then you had double the, I mean, I can't imagine how many banana peels, you know, yeah. I, you know, whatever you might want to call it. And then they take that, they take that waste and they put it over here in New Jersey, I would assume. I'm thinking of the right. Soprano guy. And there's just a treasure trove of energy sitting over there. And if we can just, and, and I know that you're talking more, and, and you're doing it the smart way. I'm thinking, you know, bigger, you know, term. You're talking about actual practical application. But I just, I see there as being just a blank canvas. And, you know, and there's people that are stepping up to the plate. We have a guy here in Knoxville um, called, uh, he's he owns Wampler's Farm Sausage. And he's really big into the proton power and using waste to create energy. And his whole factory is 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 actually powered by this, correct, Mark? And so there's people like yourselves that are stepping out into the forefront of this. And, and all we can do is to do one of your three pillars, which is educate the community and try to, you know, at least bring awareness. And that's why I like what Mark does, our co-host, is that he looks at the important issues and gets people like yourself so in the last couple of minutes or a minute that we have approximately, do you have any any call of actions or what people should do from here? Yeah, I would be very happy to get um, email inquiries from anyone who has any kind of question about mm-hmm. anything related to this. Uh, my email address is G-A-E-L-A-N at agrilabtech.com. Okay, we'll put that on our website as well. And, and so there's, you know, a, a fairly simple starting point in terms of if you want to apply this to your situation, there's a few key questions to understand ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Primarily, what are your energy needs? What are what kind of volumes of materials? What types of materials do you have access to? And from there, we can give you a very quick um, scenario of here's how you could approach. They it. have access here's- to waste. I can promise you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well. Right. We really appreciate it so much, and I hate to, to cut our conversation short. We could go another two segments easily, but we'll be in contact with you, and we'll put all the information that he just mentioned right there on our website, thehousinghour.com. We'll also put it on facebook.com slash thehousinghour, Twitter, and all of that. Guys, we want to thank everybody for coming in. We hope that this has been a valuable show for you. Share it with your friends and family because this could be something that could take us into the future with our energy needs. From the Housing Hour to your family, thank you, and we'll see you next week right here on the Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.